to the Hustle Podcast. It's a podcast about product design. I'm Rick Messer, and I'm here with my co-host, Anthony. Hey, what's up? What's up? <laughs> uh, who we got on the show today, Anthony? Uh, today we got a friend of mine, uh, Dylan Seeger. Hey, Dylan, what's up? Hey, how are you doing? Uh, good. Thanks for taking time to come out. Um, Dylan and I, I think, met virtually after I was on a Dan Benjamin 5x5 podcast. We cranked up a Twitter relationship pretty quickly, and I, so I guess we've been in, in contact now for chatting back and forth for about what about three years? Uh, about a year and a half. About a year and a half. Okay, year year and a half, three years, same wow. thing. <laughs> Is that um, <laughs> it, was that like the um, quit show or I'm not I'm not really sure. Oh, we'll have to. Ask. Yeah, I think it was, was it quit. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's a cool show. Um, Dylan, um, why don't you uh, introduce yourself really quick? and uh, let our listeners know who you are and what you're doing. Yeah, sure. Um, so without taking too long, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I run a design studio called Lovably uh, at lovably.com. And um, I also uh, am a musician. I, I made a record called Clay, uh, which took two and a half years, which was really fun. I worked on that for a long time. And you can listen to that at my own personal website. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty good stuff. I mean, you've you've produced more than just that one album, though, right? Yeah. So uh, Clay was the third, my third record. Right. Um, I started in two thousand eight. Um, I was thirteen, and I made I made one record that got me destroyed in school, um, in middle school, and that that was fun. Uh, and then I, I made a second record, which I consider to be my first record because I pulled the first one, the first. Uh, well, that second, but geez, what am I saying? Basically, my first album is horrifying, and it's still it's still live. You can listen to it on iTunes and all those other places. And I haven't for the past five years. I haven't heard it in a very long time. But um, after that, I made a record called Readers and Reporters, which was um, better. Not not great, but better. And then I made Clay, which was the biggest effort so far. And uh, now I'm working on my fourth record called "The Birds Will Borrow Wall Street." Awesome! And that will not be out. F- that will not be out for a very long time. <laughs> keeping the tradition, keeping with the tradition of Clay, which took two and a half years. Nice. Do you um, perform too? Like play around and like tour and stuff, or do you just like to like release uh, digital music? Um, I I do I do play local shows. Um, I, I had bigger plans for Clay after it was done. I was gonna do pretty regular shows in New York. Um, I decided to stop doing that when it became frustrating that no one would ever show up. Um, I, I mean, the, the the scene with with live music is so strange because you kind of go to build a following, and then the bars expect you to bring all of your friends and, uh, I don't have any friends and, uh, <laughs> and I, and, and, and honestly, I, I'm not trying to like play to the three people that already know me. I actually wanted to get, gain some awareness, which wasn't working and it was very stressful and emotional thing. So I stopped for a little while and now I kind of just do surprise acoustic shows and open mics around the city. Oh, you're um, rel- you're relatively keep- new to New York too, right? You moved... Um, to New York City from were you living before upstate New York somewhere? Um, yeah, I was I was living on Long Island first and then upstate New York. 
Um, but I, I've been around the city for my entire life, but I've been playing shows in the city for about four years, and um, and I just moved here in November, which is why which is why I'm still I'm right now sitting on the floor of my apartment because I don't have furniture. <laughs> nice. Uh, Dylan also made some tracks for an internal product that we made on our on Fridays with uh, Ulf, our friend Ulf, called Mornings. Um, we haven't released that oh. app yet, Dylan, but we still have the audio, and maybe, hopefully we might get that thing across the line. And thank you for your contributions to that. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I honestly forgot that happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I actually remembered it uh, uh, like last month that that happened, but then I forgot again. What, what what really was inspiring to me about you is, I mean, I don't you know talk to people about this a lot, but it seems like you've accomplished a lot for, at such a young age. I don't know exactly how young or old you are, but you've produced several albums and most recently started a business. Um, what 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 made you decide to start your agency? Um, well, first of all, I'm 21. I, I don't usually talk about my age, but I figured. Once now that I'm over, now that I'm of drinking age, even though I'm not going to be drinking, uh, I can start talking about it. Nice. <laughs> no, it doesn't really matter either way. Um, uh, what made me start lovably? Uh, I have been obsessed with design forever, probably before music. Um, I think I just have a weird obsession with creating, with creating companies and 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 designing something that I'm interested in, and um, and. I, I I don't know. That's that's why I started in music, and that's why I started in design. And I'm just trying to make good things, and like everybody else. What kind of projects do do you guys work on? We work on um, websites and branding mostly. Um, some some more marketing stuff, um, some print stuff, and that's about it. What's been um What's been the hardest thing for you guys, like in getting started or work, working with clients? So what are some things that you guys? Uh, what are some of the biggest things that you guys are trying to optimize for right now? Uh, right now, it's it's mostly really refining the the onboarding experience, um, which I've been working on for for probably. I mean, obviously since I started, but for for this entire year, I've been pretty focused on on making that experience more seamless for the client and more seamless for us making sure things stay on time it's hard that's a hard it's always hard and it's the first, you know it's the you know a customer's first impression of of a of a studio and of individuals and individuals are you know still getting to know the getting to know the customer for the first time and a lot of uh, a lot of things to unpack in that process. Yeah, it's especially hard when you're when you're working on so many projects at once. Uh, we try to keep it down to a few a month at this point, but there have definitely been times where I've had twelve clients and I'm just struggling to to make sure everybody's on t- on time. What's your team like? Uh, barely existent. It's I'm the only full time employee right now. Um, I have a couple contractors who I work with. Um, we partner up to do, I, I give them some work and we collaborate together, uh, under lovably, but I, I haven't employed anybody yet. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just really common nowadays. It's so much more like possible to actually collaborate, uh, with a distributed team. Um, and it just seems to make a lot of sense. I think, you know, anybody starting an agency, 
or, you know, any kind of design shop at all is going to kind of naturally start that way. You're not going to probably see anybody that just like, you know, moves into an office and hires 10 people right away. Um, just doesn't, just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I have a pretty independent spirit myself. i I've not really spent much time working with other people until lovably. And obviously I work with clients constantly now, but I I really appreciate people who do things on their own. And, um, and that's what these, these other designers that I work with do. Uh, and I don't feel like I have to limit them into one thing. Uh, they can kind of go about their own lives and work on their own projects and, uh, and I'll come in and, and we'll help each other. Do you enjoy uh, like collaborating with with like other designers and engineers and, and whatnot? Yeah, I do. I enjoy collaborating with with designers for sure. Uh, with music, I do not. I can't stand playing with other people, <laughs> <laughs> and and especially recording. Recording is such a personal process. I just lock myself in my, in in a room basically all day, uh, and that was that was clay. It was every day. It was I was doing seventy hour. Uh, work weeks for a little while with clay were you and that recording? was recording that was just me recording like 70 hours a week you were writing music and recording or were you like managing uh client work while you were also doing music during that time no i i, I that was actually all music i actually started lovably um i got the idea for lovably about seven or eight months before clay was finished but um but i did not go through with it until about two months before i finished clay so, so I, I got to focus on clay for a while. Nice. What what kind of um, suggestions would would you have for those other other professionals out there that are in the design or in development space that struggle with finding time to pursue other hobbies and, and fashions and other pursuits? I struggle. I don't know how to do that. No, me neither. Um, just don't be lazy. <laughs> you have the t- oh, you honestly shit. you you have the time and. <laughs> And you're you're probably just not using it the way that you want the way that you would ideally use it in that situation. If you think you don't have the time, wake up earlier or go to bed later. Damn. Yeah, that's that's pretty real. I I can't I can't <laughs> I can't argue with that. <laughs> um, is there anything that you do with your agency specifically around you know work days or work hours that allow you to optimize for those things? Yeah, but I have trouble following them. I'm, I'm working harder to follow them. If you look at Lovably's website, our hours are uh, Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. That's something I've adjusted quite a bit, but I've always tried to keep Friday off of there just to op- to leave room open for improving the company. Yeah. Um, and yet, I honestly, I, I've barely been enforcing that until this week or last week. It's honestly sad. Um I, I spend a lot of time working on the company anyway after hours, mm-hmm. but but I would like to be a little stricter with that in the future. Is it hard to uh, do that just profitability wise? Like to, um, you know, you could make more money if you had a fifth day in your week. Is it a struggle or do you find it to be like mm, not that bad? Well, it's hard to say because I haven't been following the rule. <laughs> Ask me again in a few months. Right. Hopefully, I will be following my own rules. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if you knew this about us, but we we we're structured kind of similarly. Similarly, we work Monday through Thursday, and Friday has always been, in some form or fashion, dedicated to a personal time or 
personal growth, company growth, things that usually fall off and are in the back burner that you really want to do. You just need focus time to do. It's we've had to iterate on that, but I, at this point, after doing it for so long, I can't imagine d- changing it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that would be that would suck. <laughs> Let's not do that. Yeah. Well, well, you're giving me good incentive to work harder at that. Well, you know, it also it also has a retention value and brand value for you know clients that that are signing up you know for your business and are, are people that you might employ in the future. And you know, like you said, it's nice to have. You know, when you're running a business and doing things like optimizing for onboarding, and I mean, that never ends. Like, you're always going to have, you know, something to work on. And for me, Friday is like a good time to roll up my sleeves and focus on that for for a day. Yeah. Another thing I've been trying to do is is give myself like a better schedule for that time. So I have morning, afternoon, and evening reviews that are all an hour long. So morning review is from nine to 10. Afternoon review is right after lunch. And uh, and the uh, evening review is from five to six, the hour after we technically close. And that, that definitely helps to to give myself three hours a day to, to improve on that stuff, which which sounds like a lot. But but I always find a way to fill what do you, it. What do you do during that time? Like during these reviews, like can you tell us what what happens during this? Are you looking at design work with other people? Are you what What are you doing? Yeah. Uh, so the morning review is mostly client follow up. So I I go in and take care of all of the email. But on on Mondays, uh, I also go back and look through past inquiries and um, make sure that people who reached out to us for for help on a project and then disappeared are still you know in our system and and taking care of because a lot of people just forget um, so that's that's the morning review oh and, and on Fridays also I do I do all the accounting reconciliation oh for, man yeah it's not it's not it's not that bad it's honestly not that bad it's it's not anyway afternoon review and evening review are more of more of an open creative time for me um so i can work on making the business better and working on and so that i can work on upcoming internal projects that i think will improve things so you set aside three different times per day three hour uh at an hour each um to yep. sort of circle back and look at these things Yep, exactly, and to and to just give my brain some time to yeah. work on some new stuff. And so, in between those times, you're doing regular like client work or whatever. Yep, in between those times, I'm doing client work, and a lot of times I, I do it after after six, also, but I'm trying to stop. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? Has that been working for you for a while? How long have I been doing the morning, uh, afternoon, evening reviews? Yeah, these three reviews a day or whatever. So I've been doing. Um, I've been doing the morning review since I started in 2014. Um, I, I added the afternoon and evening reviews late last year, and it's been great. Um, what I found was I actually, I actually initiated it because not because I wanted more time to work on this independent stuff, but because I wanted to make sure that I was working on client stuff and not this other stuff. So I gave myself these these designated times to, to focus on that stuff so that I would not have an excuse to not work on client work when I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, so it has been, wor- it actually has been working well. I've been following it pretty well. Nice. 
Yeah, that, it's that's something Rick and I've been talking about a lot lately. I mean, every every everyone is optimized to be more productive in different ways. Like some people on our team are are more effective and you know, in the morning, some are more effective in the evening. Some people like, you know, kind of chaos and about juggling things like around, like it's really hard to, um, it's really hard to formalize it, but when you're in control of your own, you know, schedule, I, I think that's, that's pretty cool. And I also think clients, if they're educated, they, they will, they appreciate some boundaries. Yeah. It can be hard to educate clients. And I, I don't usually like to you know, force feed them too much about how I do stuff. Um, but, but you're right. If, but I, I just don't know if they care. Yeah. You M- never, most of you, them, you can't really tell. Cause we always give, um, during like our kickoffs and what, whatnot, um, Anthony will usually kind of give like an overview of like fun size culture and like how we do things and explain, you know, this is, you know, we work Monday through Thursday. These are the benefits to, you know, to that that cycle, you guys do get benefit out of it, and you know, it kind of says a, a lot of stuff that is very important to us. And it's hard to tell if anybody's really like, you know, tuning in or tuning out. Um, but you also can't, you know, judge that by just that moment. They remember, you know, people remember stuff later. I read a, a really good quote from, I think you on Twitter yesterday, Anthony, or is a quote from somebody that you tweeted or something that was like, they don't remember, <clears throat> you don't remember what someone says or what someone does exactly, but you always remember how that person made you feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was really, really neat and totally true. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's top of mind right now for me. Like, you know, just like Dylan, I'm obsessed with onboarding. I'm obsessed with, you know, delivering customer experience. I'm obsessed with you know the end stages. Now that I now that we're structured a certain way, like I, those things are probably the the three things are top of mind to me. Uh, switching gears just a little bit, talking about clients who care. Uh, one of the things that we were talking about was um, in working with clients, uh, designing something that you're proud of that's long lasting when your client is heavily influenced by trends. Um, this was this was something that you were talking about, Dylan. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your perspective on that and how you you guide um, a client through those conversations and decision making process to uh, to release something that everyone can be proud of? Yeah. So in the client business, this is so much of what you have to deal with. You have the majority of your clients coming in are probably going to be trend driven um, because they're consumers and 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 consumers are trend driven and if you don't know exactly you know if you're not a master in, in a certain field then you shouldn't really be expected to be to be more than that um, and and so yeah most of our clients who come in are trend driven they want a full a full width responsive website that looks exactly like you know, every other startup website. And we have to either tell them that is the right route for you guys, or no, you guys are just following the trend and we have to, we have a way better way that to design this for you. Cause I just feel like so many clients have don't, they don't think of design as a way to convey information. They think of it as making it pretty, just like all these other pretty sites. And, and there's a time and a place for that for sure. But 
I'm I'm personally really interested in making things look good, but also making them extremely informational and functional, making it so that you don't always have to scroll or, or let the browser scroll for you for an hour before you can find what you're looking for. So many times there are better ways to lay things out and clients just don't realize that. And, and that's our job is to figure out a better way to, to lay out that information that, that they give us. Um, that's a really good point. Along those lines, I remember, remember Pingboard? Rick, we we did. Um, I think at the time, our our client wanted they were they kind of approaching the same way. Like they were looking at some other cross sections of the market, and they said, "Okay, well, we're going to build the marketing page that supports this product. This is how it's going to be structured. It's going to be a multi-panel, really long scrolling page." And we did all of this design work, and later um, we're able to put in a design into the mix that was. Almost had no content, right? It was like some maybe maybe instead of eight panels, it was like one or two, and there was almost virtually no scrolling. And it, I don't remember the. I remember Bill talking us about it, but he said that the the conversion on it was like astronomical, right? And you know, I think the original intention was, oh well, everyone else does this. This is what we should do. Let's spend all this time doing it when you know this other thing, this other you know, you know more you know thoughtful you know. Instead of just following a trend, like following like a design gut feeling, it might have might have uh, actually did perform so better. Brings up a good yeah a good, good question. Sorry, Dylan. Uh, oh, sure. One sec. I just wanted to ask you if you guys have ever employed um, like user testing or A/B testing to sort of like get your point across to the client. Like, look, here's the you know Twitter bootstrap out of the out of the can. Um, you know, Silicon Valley looking. Uh, website, um, and then here's our solution, and we think it works better. And here's like the data. How, th- has that ever been like a way that you've tried to guide? Or no, um, no. I I just I I just try to communicate with the client how I'm feeling and and how I and how I think it could be better. And if they don't listen to me, um, sometimes I'll just go ahead and do it. <laughs> and if they really hate it, I'll redo it. Mm-hmm. Um, but better but, to ask I, for forgiveness than permission, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I trust I trust my uh, my values in design, and maybe I'm wrong, but but I think a lot of clients will will trust them too if they're given the opportunity. Have you ever found that uh, trusting your instincts as a designer has been, in fact, the wrong decision later? Yeah. Yep. Um, if you, I mean, obviously we're constantly changing our opinions. Um, sure. We'd be we'd be sh- we'd be shitty designers if we didn't have the ability to change our minds. But um, yeah, if you look at Lovably's website, if you followed if you followed us back when it was Lovably Gray two years ago, um, that original website was a full width uh, banner image responsive website that looked like everything else Mm -hmm. and i thought it was pretty at the time and i was new to this i was i mean i'd been designing websites for a decade but i i i was it was still in the honeymoon stages of all this responsive stuff and i thought it was great and i thought oh i'm I'm selling to clients who obviously are going to want this and they'll see my website and they'll think oh you know they have this ability to do exactly what i want and then you can clearly see in 2015 when when my mind changed about that after a year of doing i think we did like 40 responsive web 
websites. Um, I mean, 40 websites and, and a shit ton of them were all of those, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, cookie cutter websites. After a year of doing that for so many clients, I really started to think more about what we were doing and, and how much better we could, we could make things if we didn't just blindly follow the trend. And that's when the lovably website changed completely. I spent a long time on that one, um, making sure that it was something I thought could, could last and wouldn't have to be redone in a year or five years or 10 years, uh, besides tweaks here and there. Hmm. Um, well, it's interesting because I mean, I'm, this has somewhat been a conversation amongst our team, uh, recently as well. Um, Anthony and I were actually just talking about last episode, um, research and how much to lean on it. We called it lean on research as in like lean on it to sort of test the boundaries of it, lean on it to like get some data and make a decision on it, but also lean on it as, as the, as the term lean is in, in lean UX, you know, like something that's very like quick and, um, not fatty, but anyway, um, so we, the, the reason I brought that up is because, um, I think that there's certain, you know, a, a lot of like, I guess, UX designers or whatnot in, you know, the software world that we that we work in, um, tend to be pretty heavy on research and user testing and things like that. And that thing, that stuff has its place, and we need it. And I do not think we should skip it or not do it at all. But um, I think that we, I think that the industry right now sort of discounts the. Um, innate wisdom that a designer can have in making like a choice, like they're a designer for a reason and they are making those choices and they do need to back them up, uh, with like, uh, a good reason, but yeah, I've never, I've never done much user testing or AB testing. Um, maybe it's because I don't do software, but, um, I, I just, I, it's just not something that I feel like we need for for what we're doing and it's and it's one of the reasons probably why I'm so driven to branding and and packaging and and some print stuff right now because there's less of that stuff and and it just anytime I think of of user user testing I just think of all the times that I've opened the Twitter app on my phone and some tiny feature has been different or the blue navigation bar is now white and how pissed off as a user I was that I was the lab mice in that situation, that I was lab rat in that situation. Um, That's, that's my own feeling on it, but obviously I'm not doing software and I'm sure it's incredibly important for, for a software developer. I I think that's a balance. You know, the more I, the more that I've been talking to Rick, the more my opinion of this has been opening up because I think sometimes, especially as a business owner, I, it's easy for me to get pressured into thinking about things that might take me away from my values. We talked about, we start starting to talk about this and services is one of those things. Like, you know, sometimes it might be someone on the team or it might be a client sort of asking like, well, what's your approach to user testing? And, you know, sometimes you can get these ideas in your head and it can take you off path. And, and I do think that, you know, for some design, yes, you know, data does make a big difference, but I'm also relearning how important it, the craft side of it is because, you know, a designer is not really that different than like going to work with a tailor or a or a fashion designer, right? You're not going to get the same suit from 
mm-hmm. in, in each fashion des- designer hiring that person or that company, you're going to get their perspective on on that thing that's being made, whether it's digital or whether it's a real thing. You know, what you're going to get from IDO is going to be a lot different than a you know a freelance industrial designer. I mean, some people have lots of process, some operate from the gut, and I think it's important to also remember that design, just like any other just like a lot of other things is heavily inspired by style. Sure. There's going to be things that are trendy and each designer has their own perception of what good and simple and utilitarian and all that is. And, and it, um, it it gets more complicated, you know, as the, as the org gets more complicated, but I agree, Dylan, I think it's really important to stay, stay true to your values and sure. Like not, you know, like fun size isn't the perfect, fit for every client. Your agency is probably not the perfect fit for every client. How do you deal, once you know that someone's not going to you know, follow your gut reaction, your expertise, like how, do you, how do you deal with that? Uh, well, well, for sure, some, some clients aren't going to, aren't going to appreciate that, that way of thinking, and some are, and you try to educate the ones who don't feel the same way. And if it doesn't work... Um, and you think it's it's really not going to work out in the long run, you you quit. But that doesn't happen very often. Uh, usually, you try to make the best of the situation. If you're already on board with a client and they're not understanding the value of your work or the value of your opinions as as the person they hired, then you just try your best to make make something that that follows a, a middle path. That's true. Because I mean. <clears throat> The the back to just the debate at hand that um, how you know how do we kind of push the boundaries with clients when they are wanting something that is perhaps the boundary you know um, I think it's also important to note that like with design trends like first of all I think it's um, I think it's okay if something is, you know, fits into the box of, that might be considered trendy. But I think where it becomes like not okay um, is where you're just doing that without uh, thinking about how that trend necessarily fits on this particular project or for this particular client, brand, vibe, whatever. And then that's when it becomes kind of a kind of problematic. I actually like really, you know, uh, uh, from a, like a design perspective, um, I hear a lot of sort of negative talk about, um, you know, designer social media sites like uh, Behance and Dribble and and stuff. And I just, you know, I'm not necessarily on that page because I, I love seeing that stuff. It's not going to uh, inform like every design decision that I make, but when certain patterns, like you see them over and over again, um, I think that they are sometimes it's because they're working well. Um, and so I think it's okay to employ things that, um, I mean like for, for a user, like predictability is so huge. Just what you said, Dylan, about the, the Twitter thing, like, uh, people don't like when they feel at home with a product or a design or whatever, you know, like they don't want it to change and they want it to be the same. And that, that goes back to the concept of like, predictability. So like for users, like predictability is, is really good. Um, but if we're just throwing these, these simple patterns here and don't actually solve the, mm-hmm. the problem, like in a specific way, then, uh, I think that's where it's not great. There's also the concept of just 
like doing interesting work. <laughs> I, I love what you're saying. Um, you know, the uh, patterns are great. You know, like there's proven patterns. Like, you know, if you're building an e-commerce site, there are patterns that if you follow are going to work, right? But, you know, that doesn't mean that everything should be the same. You know, um, Greg Story wrote, I have it pulled up right now. Greg Story wrote this interesting article a year or two ago called And They All Look the Same. And he's talking about web design specifically as the contrast between you know the the '90s and early 2000s versus where we are right now. We've become so pattern driven and framework driven that it is really hard to find anything that's unique versus like a playground for you know applying graphic design to the web, which is really fun. In the in the '90s, sort of hacking those things together and being able to put your own flavor or brand to it. Now it's, it seems so, it's so easy to get started. You up, crank open that framework. It's, they've already solved a few things for you. The grids, you know, and all that sort of stuff's there. Put, yeah, in, your, put it, in your carousel, you're done. It, yeah. There's something to be said for, for design uh, ideas that work. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I do think that that, that cookie cutter uh, website design that we've been talking about a lot, that does work in some situations. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't work in all situations, and that's where I have the problem exactly, with it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and and also, even if you are going to go that route, there's there's uh, just so much emotion and character that a designer can put into their work, even if they are following some some kind of basic guidelines. And and sometimes people just don't put the uh, don't put the effort in. Oh, uh, I I definitely agree. To do that, definitely agree with that. Like that's what it means. Like you can kind of just turn your brain off and just pump out these frameworks and like say, Here, here's your website, where's my check? You know? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's not the... I mean, being a creative professional, a designer, a, a software designer, or somebody who does like, you know, web websites and, and whatnot, I think we are in this business because we like to create and be satisfied by seeing our work come to life and having things that are uniquely, you know, unique, unique and, and uniquely different. It's hard because we're all in a business that employs aesthetic because it needs aesthetic because aesthetic helps with conversion. It makes things, um, sell better quite frankly and then um you also have to have like a a business portion where you're getting a return on your investment for the money that you're spending on that aesthetic so it's always going to be a push and pull Mm -hmm. on where's the line between how innovative can i make this product or you know um thing that i'm working on uh, and how, like, at what point does it need to, like, th- okay, we're, we need to think about budget or we need to think about this or that, you know, it's, yeah. we're always going to be faced with that issue. Yeah. I think, um, in that whole onboarding phase where we started, one of the most key things for me to get, glean out of that is, okay, well, understanding that, you know, is the client ha- has a limited amount of money and they only have, a, you know, a couple of weeks to, you know, add some value. Okay, well, we don't want to rethink the wheel. The goal would be to use their framework and mm-hmm. make it incrementally better. However, if that client has a limited amount of the same limited amount of money, but they need to completely change the game, yeah. then the obvious choice is to put you know, you know, push. And I think that um, 
I think sometimes teams um, forget about the cl- you know thinking asking the right questions about where the client is, what their limitations are. Do you guys typically bill by the hour? We don't. We bill by a team per month, and that's broken down into two week iterations. So um, when we first started, people would hire us usually for three, six, nine months at a time. And as we've grown, we realized that we need to find ways to attack problems in shorter periods of time. So we started um, employing a you know ad hoc two week iteration. So someone can hire us now as as short as two weeks. So we, it's a it's a fixed cost for that team effort for that time frame. Interesting. Yeah, I, I do fixed costs too. I I've thought a lot about this since I started, and it just seems like nobody in their right mind would want to bill by the hour, and it, which is funny because mo- a lot of designers do. But but if you think about it from the perspective of the client, how shitty is that? Seriously, yeah. To not know what you're going to be paying, uh, and and to not know exactly what you're going to get out of it. It just as a customer who's never hired a designer. Uh, I would feel like crap. I think going into something like that. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Hourly is not the way to go. I think it's more like if that's your mentality. Like, if you're sitting there staring at your screen thinking about something, or you know, or if you're having a super productive like hour, like how are those two hours different? You know, but you're also, charging and, the same thing. Yeah. And as the designer, why why do you want to think about time tracking? It's not fun. Yeah. I have software that help. I pay for software that helps me time track for the occasional short projects where it does make sense to do that. It's not fun. I always forget about the timer. Yeah, yeah it's uh, you have to go back and make something up or something. This is something that we you know we tackled pretty early on in one of our earlier episodes. I mean, once we got the team together, we realized pretty quickly. Okay, this is fundamentally broken because. It's hard enough when you're just one person trying to track time. Track time. Now imagine twelve people tracking time. How much? Like how accurate is that going to be? Fifty percent, forty percent, sixty percent. And another thing is, especially with uh, with logo design, I find this: if if you build by the hour, and I, I have had a few logo projects who are small enough that they want to be built by the hour, um, which I would not recommend. Anyway, um, you're you're thinking you you put so much thought into this. And and sometimes you end up with a logo that's just a typeface, and that's what's right for that client and for that yeah, project. Right. And they'll and they'll look at the time and they'll be like, 10 hours? How did that happen?" Well, because I went through all of these other iterations that I didn't show you because I came up with the right one, and and that's what I'm showing you. Yeah. And and they think I could have gone into Microsoft Word and done that, and we all know that they they couldn't have because <laughs> it would have looked like. Word art, but um, are you guys familiar with the Polishier, the famous Polishier quote about the Citibank logo? No, no. Uh, I, I'm not going to. It's probably not going to be 100 percent accurate, but I, the story goes that she's in one of the first meetings with Citibank. You know, when the, the umbrella logo, right, or like the little line, yeah, the little, and she hands them a napkin drawing with this logo, and she says, "This is your logo." Right. This is. Oh, I did hear that. Yeah. I forgot about and that. they ended up going with that, but then they were, you know, then there was some debate with, I guess, Pentagram, like, why, why would we pay a million dollars for this? When she said, well, it took a lifetime for yeah, me to learn how to do that in exactly, an hour. Hey, this brings it back full circle because that's, that is kind of what I'm saying about like designers trusting like the decisions that they're making. Like, you're not just making that decision in like a five second time that that's not all that's going into it you've built like 
your like design sensibility, your taste, like oh, throughout your lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. That's 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 awesome. I've yeah. never heard that story, but yeah. that's kind of what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and that's not to mention that even when you're finished working on something uh, for that day, if if you're if you're invested in your work, which hopefully you are, you're going to be thinking about that when you're cooking dinner. You're going to be thinking about that when you are taking a piss and when you're in the shower. You're going to be thinking about that all the time. And and if you're not, then you're not invested in it and you're not doing the best job you can be. And you're not going to track your time when you're taking a piss because, oh, I was also thinking of this logo. <laughs> because what are you going to tell your client? I was I was, I was was taking a piss and, and I thought I was thinking about this logo and that's why... And that's why I build you for an extra 30 seconds. Right. There, you just, you don't want to have to do that. And you also, the, the, the reaction on the client side is similar to probably how I feel every time I think about sending my lawyer an email. I have something I'm thinking about. It might be really fun, like some, a new program I want to create. My first thought is, oh my God, he's charging me by the hour. I wonder how many hours he's going to spend on this. Uh-huh. Like, is my bill yep. going to be $1,000? Is it going to be a 20 bucks? Like, yep. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. And that's not the experience yeah. I want my clients to have. And and on my side, it's not the experience I want to have because I come from this music background where I get to work on things that things that I care about and things that I'm invested in for hours. And and I obviously with business you do have to think a little bit more about how much time you're investing. Yeah. But for yeah. such a creative process, you don't you don't want to have to any more than you than you should. Mm-hmm. Um and and if you're if you're billing by the hour, it's that's all you're going to be thinking about. I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's really definitely good. why we don't do it. Well, Dylan, do you have any um, any tips for those out there that might be in the early stages of starting their business and and uh, and then and, and to, to wrap it up, maybe you could let everyone know how they can find you on the interwebs and on Twitter and and learn about your music. Um, my tip is just do what you think is right. Just just do what you think is right. Um, it, if you're wrong, worse comes to worse, you redo it or someone else redoes it. Design, any design is not going to last forever, but you can try your best to to make something that is long-lasting, that you think has value. And and obviously you're going to have to follow some, some trends, uh, probably pretty often, but just try to do what you think is right. Cool. Well said. Well said. Well, if if you're wrong, it's not the end of the world. You you right. just change your mind. Sure. Yeah, design sure. is never done. Yeah, yeah. Where can people like look you up online, Twitter, and whatnot? This is my least favorite part of podcast because it's always you can find me at. Um, <laughs> Let's say something different then. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter. Give out your phone number. Don't follow the design <laughs> trend of saying you can find me at. <laughs> Four three five eight six six four three seven five. Boom! There it oh, is. Man. No, no, no. I feel very bad for the random number for whoever owns that random number. Oh, you didn't give them your. I that was no, your that real. is not my real number. Twitter uh, is at Dylan Seeger. Nice. Um, if you don't know how to spell that, go look at the show notes. I assume. Sure. Yeah, we'll Good. have your. We'll have a link. To okay, you. and um, my personal website is dylanseeger.com, which has links to all the stuff I do. Um, and the studio is lovably.com. Cool, man. Check out his music. Grab it. It's good. 
Yeah, look for uh, an app featuring Dylan's music coming to the App Store um, sometime. <laughs> one day, <laughs> one day. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what I submitted to that. I'm pretty sure it was a few ambient tracks. It was nice. From, yeah, yeah, it was perfect for what we needed. Thanks for doing that too. Yeah, no problem, Dylan. Oh, we didn't ta- we didn't get to talk at all about streaming music. I have so much to yell about streaming music. <laughs> this is a rant. I, I've ranted enough. Uh, <laughs> so if they want to hear more ranting, follow you on Twitter? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Dylan, thanks for taking time out of your uh, schedule to chat with us. This is awesome. I look forward to catching up with you soon. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Yeah, same here. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me. Cool, thanks. This episode is brought to you by The Iron Yard. The Iron Yard in Austin is now offering a 12-week intensive program in user interface design. The Iron Yard will teach you the tools and skills you need to become a professional interface designer and then help you find a job. If you're interested in launching a new career in tech and design, visit their website, theironyard.com. Scholarships are available for the summer semester. Learn user interface design at The Iron Yard. Life's too short for the wrong career. Hustle is brought to you by FunSize, a digital product design agency in Austin, Texas that creates delightful, innovative products for mobile, web, and beyond. Visit us on Twitter at FunSize or visit our website at funsize.co.